up this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, and I have a thing about myself as it relates to minor league baseball that I realized last night, and I want to I wanna bounce it off of you, Sam. I realized last night that the easiest way, and this is not a difficult thing to do in the first place, but the easiest way to get me to buy your team's hat is to list on your website only two remaining on, like, size 7 and 3 eighths. Because last night... As some of you may know, I'm an alumnus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, uh, and my dad is from Nebraska. We've got family in Lincoln and Omaha, and I've been going there since I was a kid, and there is a, a cultural food delicacy in Nebraska and in the surrounding area called the Runza, the Runza Sandwich. Runza is a fast food chain that is based in Lincoln, had its first store in Lincoln near the university, uh, just up the uh, the street from Memorial Stadium, the third largest city in the state of Nebraska on football Saturdays. Um Runza, which does have some location. Josh Jackson, our uh, our MILB.com writer, and I were having this conversation the other day because he just said to me, explain Runza. And uh, there are locations outside of the state of Nebraska, but it's really a Nebraska thing. And there are various other, like, bread incarnations like this outside of that region that are pretty much just all the same thing as we get the weekly shake of the collar in the background from, like, uh, the official dog of the show before the show podcast. Um, but a Runza basically is like a, it's like a bread pocket that's filled with ground beef and cabbage and spices and cheese sometimes and you know like the legend goes that it was like czech immigrant farmers would eat it when they were working in the fields some stuff like that i know in like the upper midwest they have uh pasties which were i think russian or german but they're a very similar thing it's kind of like you know the same type of thing a bread pocket and meat and vegetables whatever um but the Omaha Storm Chasers rebranded themselves as the Runzes for a game. They did that as their food item. Everybody's got a food item these days in minor league baseball. Uh, being somebody with a spot near and dear to my heart for the Runza, I had to get one. Went on the Storm Chasers site, which I've done a couple of times through the first couple of months of the season. Just like looked at it and been like, yeah, I'll get around to buying it at some point. And yesterday it said size 7 and 3 eighths, two remaining. And so I had to get it. So if you're looking to get me to buy your hat, that is apparently all I need is just to know, like, I'm going to miss out on this, which undoubtedly they're ordering more. I don't know. I'm sure they will be. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe that's a limited time offer. I mean, the way to get me to want something is to tell me that I cannot have it. Right. uh, Which is like the Brooklyn Cyclones. I think it was last year, last year, two years ago. uh, They became the Brooklyn Slices. Right. A, a promotion similar and, to something we'll discuss in a little while right yeah tease that for later involving new york city and pizza yeah. um but the brooklyn cyclones became the brooklyn slices and they had some really cool shirts and one i really liked that had the the brooklyn skyline like mixed with pizza somehow and i decided i really wanted the shirt and then it said sold out and <sighs> i not wanted a shirt more that i wanted that shirt ever since and i don't think they're reprinting it and it's Man killed me ever since like they, they could have said in your instance tyler like they could have said 10 left and i'd be like ah, yeah. oh, that's fine i'll I get, gotta, it. I get it right right now that there are literally no none left in my size yeah it's one of my five biggest regrets that's trouble you gotta uh you gotta keep checking on uh on ebay or something like that there was a world baseball classic shirt um from the very first wbc i'm a weirdo wbc fan i've been to all of them and i bought one at the first wbc then ended up being too small but of course i didn't realize until i was already home from the championship game can't exactly go back to petco park in 2006 and return a wbc shirt when you live 1500 miles away but i found the same exact shirt on ebay like six months later and bought it and it was a great decision 
All great right. decision. Well, I will Sam. try that. Or if anybody in, in Brooklyn is listening. Yeah, right now, and you've got one. And you've got one, or like the team itself just has one sitting in the back. Yeah. Something like that. I will pay real American dollars to yeah. have it in my possession. Yeah. Um, or if you want to give it to us for free. Ben gets stuff for free all the time. I feel like we haven't milked this podcast quite enough yet to get our own stuff for free. I mean, so like looking at you, Eugene, because I want your Monarchus hat and Albuquerque because <laughs> I want your Mariachi's hat and Hartford because I want your Chivo's hat and Montgomery because I want your Greenbow Biscuits hat. Looking at you, size seven and three eighths, just in case you're listening. I have a Greenbow Biscuits hat, but I, I paid money for it. So. Did you? I'm, that's the, that'll probably be the next one on my uh, on my list, because I know with the, the Copa de la Diversión hats, that's a that's going to be a yearly thing. Like those logos are not going away. It's not a one time thing. But I feel like the Greenbow Biscuits, that was a one time deal. I can't imagine that's going to be brought back, um, you know, and if it is, I can't imagine it's going to be brought back with the same look of that just like perfect Googie era 50s, 60s logo with the biscuit with a big idealized eyes and the bat over his shoulder. God, it's so great. It's, it's so very great. good. Be, whenever you wear it, you have to be prepared to explain exactly why it's cool. Uh, which, what's going on in your shirt there? Yeah, right. Which, like, I'm a Brooklyn hipster. Like, that's our shtick anyways, is yeah, wearing true. something and then having to explain what, what makes it cool. But yeah. then people find it really interesting, so... Yeah, minor league baseball things, as many of our listeners will attest, um, when you're wearing minor league baseball stuff, it's a conversation starter unlike virtually anything else you will ever own. <laughs> that is the absolute truth. Um, but they got some good. They got a good Greenbow Biscuits, like a script T-shirt. Greenbow, in case you're listening and thinking, what on earth are they talking about? Greenbow, and we discussed this a couple weeks ago, was the fictional hometown of Forrest Gump in Alabama. And so the Montgomery Biscuits became the Greenbow Biscuits for a night. Um, and they've got just this fantastic it reminds you of like a like an ebbetsfield flannels t-shirt of like a minor league team from the 1940s or 50s like it's just this great old school logo with a a little he almost looks like mr met but instead of a baseball he's got a biscuit for a head yeah there there have been a couple of people who have seen my hat and thought like that's a really cool biscuit logo yeah i'm like you haven't even seen the 2018 version How That's this great. logo that it's not really retro, How but this is retro. Fake logo, this got fake updated. retro logo evolved yeah. over the decades to become right. the one we know and love today. Right. Um, that's the problem with working for minor league baseball is I pay so much of my money back into minor league baseball <laughs> by buying minor league baseball things. Eh, it's an issue. But uh, you know what? It's worth it because I have a, a hat cluttered full or a wall cluttered full of hats that, uh, you know, one day kids of mine are gonna be like what the, what was wrong with him he's so weird you're just gonna repackage those for 14th and 15th birthdays <laughs> exactly it's probably a smart idea um so with that we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast from milb.com my name is tyler mon his name is sam dykstra and uh we're talking all about minor league baseball thanks for tuning into this one episode number 164 wherever you found the show we thank you for tuning in at milb.com slash podcast we're on itunes we are on google play and everywhere else you get your podcast leave us a rating and review and a subscription if you can and uh with that we'll get started coming up in a little bit sam tells about this week's interview subject you got to be on it today i was uh helping out with my mom had to get her dryer fixed and she's out of town so i was being a good son and so you had to do the interview solo i'm sorry right no that's fine that's totally fine i we should always tell people like you have your shifts that are at night and i have my shifts during the day so recording these is always difficult so tyler is always the one going out of his way to do these during my shifts so 
I am more than willing to take on the interviews whenever I can and allow Tyler to help his mother as a good son what should. What a guy. Yeah. Uh, this week's uh, podcast interview was with number five Cardinals prospect Andrew Kinzer. You will hear him say his own name later. Uh, I did that on purpose, not because I don't know how to say it. It's because I want you guys to hear it from the source itself. Uh, he's a catcher in, in that Cardinals system. Uh, he's now the top ranked catching prospect in that system only because Carson Kelly has technically graduated. Uh, but we talk about that, what it's like to be stuck behind Yachty Molina and Carson Kelly in a system that's really stacked with catchers, how he's kind of developed from being, you know, a seventh round pick in 2016 to being one of the best catching prospects in all of baseball, not just in the St. Louis system and how he's been, been able to use, you know, the athleticism that made him a pretty good third baseman in college at NC state, into being a pretty good catcher and into being a pretty good hitter and being the all-around package as a catcher uh, for the Cardinals. So fun interview. We get into a lot of that different stuff. You'll be able to hear that here coming up in the second segment. Andrew, uh, the 10th-ranked catching prospect in all minor league baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. So the Cardinals have Yadier Molina uh, at the major league level. They just graduated Carson Kelly, and they've still got a top-10 catching talent in the system, which is pretty impressive. So Andrew's coming up here in a little bit. And well, that, we'll get started on three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. We're going to kick things off on a downer note, and that is with this news that the Toronto Blue Jays' top prospect and the second-ranked prospect in all of baseball, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., is out for at least four weeks that as of a few days ago this news came out on saturday uh but baseball's number two overall prospect suffered a strained patella tendon in his left knee after an awkward slide on wednesday in his game for double a new hampshire the big league club said on sunday that he will be managed conservatively as he works his way back from the injury he'll be reevaluated in four weeks um Vlad went into second base during a day game on Wednesday, June 6th. It was the fourth inning of that game, slides in, uh, legged out an infield single actually prior to that, and then slid into second base and immediately signaled over to the dugout to have somebody come out and take a look at him and then walked off the field shortly thereafter. Um, after that game, New Hampshire manager John Schneider, who was on the show a few weeks ago, said, quote, he checks out fine, but with him and all of our players, we're just being careful and making sure he's good to go. And then the further tests um, showed the strain. So, I mean, Obviously, this is a, a big loss for New Hampshire, um, but I think it cools the conversation around Vlad right now, which may turn out to be a good thing. Um, Vlad was, you know, tearing the cover off the ball and doing everything in his power to reach the major leagues this year. Um, maybe this lets Vlad go back and be just a productive baseball player for a while without some of that conversation around him as to when is he going to get that call? When is he going to get that call to be brought back along slowly as the summer gets, you know, deeper and deeper, maybe this works out better in the long run, but what was your initial reaction to this story? Yeah. I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, but mine was just to be, uh, you know, upset, I guess. Yeah. I'm in the, uh, just I'm in the I, coping phase now. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to make sense of it because the I know, world is a cruel place where we don't get Vlad crushing now. Yeah. We're, we're kind of in the acceptance phase that we're going to be <laughs> a couple weeks without him. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was upsetting. It, you know, he had been tearing the cover off the ball. Like you said, he's hitting 407 with an OPS of 1.124, 11 homers in 53 games for, for double A New Hampshire. Uh, I wanted to see how far he was going to push that. I mean, you'll remember on previous shows, I said, I thought he was going to be up by the end of June. 
Um, that's definitely not going to be the case now. You know, we're not going to see him play anywhere until July. So that's kind of upsetting. Uh, what does that mean for the Futures game? It probably rules him out of that, which is too bad because that would have been a great stage if he's not going to be in the major leagues. Uh, to see him take his talents, he definitely would have been the talk of that in Washington, D.C. That takes him out of that probably. Uh, as somebody who's going to be at the Futures game, that's upsetting. Um, but, you know, I want to see just how far he was going to take it. I wanted to see him continually push the Blue Jays and see what they were going to do. Were, were they really just pushing things back out of Super 2 concerns and, you know, hoping that they would get, you know, push back arbitration one more year with him? Was that basically what the, the worry was or was it really something defensively? Uh, were they worried he couldn't fix that in the major leagues? Was there a reason why he hadn't been pushed to Buffalo yet? Uh, there were reports before the injury. I know John Paul Morosi had a, something up on this about how you know they expected to move him up to Buffalo by the end of June. Um, I thought they were going to be more aggressive than that. We won't get that answer now. Um, so you know, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of this kind of cools everybody's jets you know we still have to remember he's a 19 year old third baseman he did have things to work on uh we don't need to be talking about him every week now we can focus on some other guys i get that that's all well and great injuries you know for lack of a better word stink everywhere um so to see a guy lose four weeks of development time and four weeks of chances to show just how good he is at a pretty high stage in baseball uh, is upsetting. And, you know, I, I'm not entirely worried about what he's going to be when he comes back. As you mentioned, Tyler, you know, they're going to be conservative with him. Uh, they don't want to rush him back just to see him do something worse to his leg. Uh, he did have an hamstring injury that kept him out a couple games before this left knee injury. Um, so, you know, things get kind of linked. I've talked to players before about saying, you know, you focus on one injury, then all of a sudden something else pops up. They wanted to make sure the entire lower half is healthy, that he can run without problems with it, you know, without having to favor one side, anything like that. So uh, it will be a while before we hear from Vlad again, but you know when the Blue Jays give him the green light to come back, it's because he's ready to fire, ready to hit 400 again. And I can't wait to see that happen. Yeah, I mean, the the ultimate lesson of this is it's just a huge bummer to not have one of the top talents, if not the top talent in all minor league baseball right now uh, on the field for the next four weeks. But you hope that it's something that Vlad is, you know, when he gets back, it's not a super serious injury and it's something where you get this rest, you're brought back along slowly. Um, you know, if the Jays somehow are able to turn things around, get on a roll, then maybe you get a fresher Vlad contributing to a team that could be fighting for a spot if if fortunes, you know, make themselves uh, a little bit more positively available to the Jays as the season rolls along than they have been so far this season. Um, I think the the ultimate lesson for Vlad is I don't think you really worry about him and the way he comes back from this because you kind of know who he is as a player. Um, what will be interesting to see is, is it going to take him time to get back acclimated again? When he misses four months, or four weeks rather, are we going to see Vlad come back in a month or a month and a half and go through a couple of weeks where he's really scuffling? Or is he going to come right back and jump into the fray and be the same guy that we saw right up until the injury? I mean, the Jays right now are eight games under five hundred. Um, they're 13 games back in the wild card. They obviously need a whole lot of help in order to get things turned around this year. But we've seen teams catch fire before. This is a team that somehow pushes itself to within six, eight games of a postseason spot. 
spot, and then you're talking about an impact bat like Vlad down the stretch. Who knows what this conversation turns into toward the end of the year. But right now, that's all reading tea leaves and parsing things that aren't yet reality. So uh, it's really just a bummer. Ultimately, it's just a bummer. So get well soon, Vlad, because we're all going to miss you very much. Uh, (laughs) That's all that matters. matters. Strike two this week, Sam. Sam. Also, rosters continue to be rolled out. Texas League, Carolina League, California League, All-Stars all announced. Um, The Texas League, my prospect crush is uh, aboard one of those rosters in Fernando Tatis Jr. Friend of the podcast, Jesus Luzardo, also a member of the Texas League. Um, The Carolina League, some really interesting pitching talent led by Dylan Cease, the Chicago White Sox prospect of Class A Advanced Winston-Salem. It's still very strange to me being a somewhat now old school Carolina league person that the Carolina league and California league no longer play against each other for their all-star game. They are now two separate all-star games. So the Carolina league has a North and South division all-star roster. Same goes for the Cal league where uh, the San Diego Padres have put some talent onto the South division roster, buddy Reed, who has been fantastic. The outfielder, the Florida product, and now a member of the Lake Elsinore storm, uh, buddy Reed is on that roster uh, in the South, but give me kind of your initial impressions of all these rosters and uh, some really, really interesting uh, matchups coming up in all-star weekends across the minors. Yeah, so uh, if you go to MILB.com, which you should be going to every day, every hour of every day, to be honest, uh, and then go to the events tab, and then under that drop down, you'll see 2018 all-star games. You can find all the roster announcements, all the rosters, everything that's been announced so far. Uh, I think we have all the rosters that for all-star games that are going to be in June. Uh, the Eastern League, AAA all-star game, those are gonna be happening July 11th. Don't have those yet. Obviously, we're still a month out from those games. But all the other full season all-star games we have rosters for right now. We talked about a couple of them last week. Uh, Tyler hit on the Texas League all-star game. I think this is gonna be the most prospect-laden one yet that we've seen. You know, We'll see what happens the triple a all-star game and the eastern league all-star game and uh obviously the futures game is chock full of prospects but uh from my account we have five top 100 prospects in that texas league all-star game the south division alone has four of them jesus Luzardo, who you mentioned fernando tatis jr who you also mentioned who has caught absolute fire since the beginning of may uh really turned things around and and one of my favorite tweets of the year when he told people, don't be worried about me. I was off to a slow start last year. He's put uh, his, you know, bat where his tweets are, I guess. And uh, really turned things around since the beginning of May. Sean Murphy, one of the best defensive catchers in the game. He'll also be on that South roster. And Cal Quantrill, uh, San Diego Padres prospect and San Antonio missions pitcher, uh, will also be on that South roster. Kbert Ruiz will be a on the north to kind of round out that group of five of top 100 prospects for just being one league uh and one league in a at a level that has three different leagues to have five top 100 prospects on an all-star game is really impressive um and all, all five of these guys have certainly earned their spot ruiz is especially young uh the dodgers got very aggressive in pushing him to double a tulsa this year he's only 19 as a catcher having to handle that pitching staff uh, of guys who you know, who some have seen AAA, some have maybe even seen the majors, uh, and doing pretty well so far. The offense has kind of come down a little bit for him right now. He's hitting 250 with a 667 OPS, but being that he's only a teenager at AA, that's still really impressive. And obviously, the Texas League agrees in giving him an all-star spot. Um, so if you want to find a particular game that I would say has a lot of talent. Look, June 26th, the game's going to be in Midland. 
Um, I'm pretty sure that's going to be on MLB.tv, but double check me on that. Uh, so that's the game I'll, I'll, I would be watching. And luckily, that's kind of has its own spot. You know, June 19th, I think there are, what, one, two, three, four, five all-star games alone on June 19th. June 26th, Texas League has its night all to itself. Find that game if you can. Follow along. We'll have as much coverage as we can of that night. Should be a special one. MILB.TV, your home for, uh, as Sam said, all-star games all across the landscape. Yeah, I think all of these will be um, carried, uh, but be sure to check MILB.TV for all of that information as it gets closer. And speaking of things that are getting closer, strike three, we're almost at short season opening day. The Major League Baseball draft is behind us. Short season leagues getting set to roll out across the country from east to west. That's one of the cool things about short season is you get leagues in every geographic region. You got the Arizona League and the Florida State, or in the uh, the Grapefruit League as far as the complex leagues go. But you got the Northwest League, which covers all the way to the Pacific Coast. The Pioneer League, which is kind of the Rocky Mountains, uh, and the uh, you can't even really call it the Southwest, but um, down a little bit further south. Then you've got the Southeast with the uh, Appalachian League and the New York Penn League up in the northeast corridor it's cool about uh short season ball that if you're not in a full season minor league market chances are you're pretty close to a short season market but sam this is um something that we kind of preview every year short season ball is so different in its dynamic from full season ball whether it's players that are just getting into pro ball from the draft or players that have been signed uh and have played their first couple of seasons in the latin american leagues in the dominican league or formerly in the venezuelan summer league um guys who are coming out of complex leagues in the azl and in the gcl they are not introductory level leagues but they're kind of the jumping off points to getting guys into prospect status um maybe who aren't the high level draft selections and for the high level draft selections for a lot of those guys their first taste of pro ball give us what you're looking for uh in short season ball as we get closer and closer to opening day yeah so as you mentioned the gcl and the azl we don't typically write those leagues too much just because they're such dry action kind of uh but sometimes every now and again you know a top draft pick will do something really special down there uh specifically in the azl i feel like the azl is really much more geared toward offense and some special stuff can happen there but i think last year royce lewis homered in his first gcl game which is not anything anybody expected even though he was the number one overall pick so uh don't just put those leagues aside just because they happen on backfields and you know arizona and florida uh we always keep an eye on those we'll we'll see how some of these big names uh, kind of translate there first. Um, some of the college guys might be heading to some of the other leagues uh, between, you know, like you mentioned, the Appalachian League or the Pioneer League at, at rookie level or the New York Penn or Northwest League at Class A short season. Um, so, you know, just because a a guy is not starting with a full season affiliate doesn't mean anything really. It's just where is their roster spot, where are their bats, where are their innings to get these guys uh, the time they need. Uh just a quick note, Friday, so the day after this podcast will be going live, some of you might be hearing on this on Friday, the New York Penn League and Pioneer League and Northwest League will all have their opening days. Uh, ben will actually be at one of them. We'll talk about that with him in a couple of segments. On Monday, the AZL and GCL start, uh, and on Tuesday is the Appalachian League. So just kind of update your minor league calendars with that. Uh, in terms of individual prospects who will be watching, I'll have a Friday tool shed on this. But to kind of give you a quick preview, uh, two of them that I'm going to be keeping my eye on as short season ball starts. Uh, Kevin Maiton, now in the Angels system. As some of you may remember, he signed with the Angels back in December 
because he was cut from the Braves as part of their international signing rules, sanctions. Uh, he was one of the players that they lost because they had signed illegally. Uh, he entered free agency, signed with the Angels, um, has not yet played for the Angels. They've held him back again. He's expected to start with rookie level Orem uh, to make his Angels debut. Was considered one of the best international prospects in the game when he signed uh, back in 2016 on July 2nd, right on that July 2nd opening day of international signings. Uh, did not really show that last year between the GCL and Appalachian League with the rookie level Danville. Ended up hitting 241 with a 629 OPS. Uh, only hit two homers, struck out 49 times in 42 games there. Uh, you know, still only 18 years old, just turned 18 in February, so he'll be 18 for the entire season. Some questions about him physically, he might be a little too big now to play shortstop. That was part of his value is that he was a pretty good hitting shortstop coming out of Venezuela. Uh, he's a switch hitter. That obviously helps his value as well. Um, you know, what have the Angels been doing with him over the extended spring training? You know, once they first got his, their hands on him, uh, what have they been doing with him in terms of conditioning? Uh, have they been able to turn him around? Obviously, they did not send him to Class A Burlington uh, thinking that he could be ready for a full 140-game season there. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see him kind of held back here, starting out again with a rookie-level affiliate. Um, what is he going to do? Is he going to be able to make adjustments from the stuff he learned last year at Danville? I'll be keeping a close eye on that. Uh, over in the Rangers system, just announced today, Julio Pablo Martinez, who is the Rangers' big signing this year out of Cuba. Uh, he's gotten seven games in the Dominican Summer League, uh, after they signed him back in March. And he absolutely tore that up, went 9 for 22 with nine walks in seven games. He had a 606 on base percentage. Uh, basically, they were just getting him at bats there. The short, other short season leagues hadn't opened yet. This is him getting his toes dipped into you know minor league water. Uh, he's 22. He's probably too old for the DSL, DSL anyways. Um, but him getting sent to Spokane, uh, Spokane, 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 Spokane. I I always want to say Spokane. I feel like I'm never an East Coaster more than when I say Spokane. Well, or when I say, say Oregon, you do say Oregon. No, I Rob used to. Man oh, okay. I used I to. Don't worry. You and Rob Manfred. Yeah. The, uh, it's not a geometric shape, East Coasters. It's a state. Right. No, I know that. <laughs> I no, but I uh, when I my freshman year of college, I went to Washington State University and I said Spokane um, before getting out there. And then when I got out there and I heard everybody saying Spokane, I was like, I'm really glad I didn't say the name of this town because it was like an hour south of there. And I would have felt like a complete idiot. But yeah, now, you know, <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, so he'll be with Class A short season Spokane uh, now that I have that right. Uh, he's the number 60 overall prospect in baseball. So getting him stateside is going to be huge. Uh, he's got a above average hit tool, not too much power quite yet, but is a really good fielder, has plus plus speed, uh, all, can do all sorts of exciting things. We'll love to see what he can do over 50, 60 games uh, in the Northwest League. If that's their plan, I, I wouldn't be surprised, given that he is 22, uh, to see him just get a couple games there and then moved up to you know Class A Hickory or uh, Class A Advanced down east by the end of the year um so but you know he first has to prove himself 
in the Northwest League in a ways he was not being tested in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, he was allowed to be a little bit more pens- or passive, excuse me, uh, like I said, with, with the, those nine walks in seven games. Now he's going to face pitchers who are going to be throwing in the strike zone a little bit more, challenging him a little bit more, and it's only going to get tougher as he climbs the ladder. So uh, excited to see what happens when he is challenged. Is the Northwest League going to be that challenge for him? We won't know until games start there this Friday. So get excited, short season markets. Your time is nearly here, and uh, that means that we're in the full-on sprint toward Labor Day and the minor league baseball playoffs once short season gets going, which is insane. But we're uh, we're actually – we just got an email a little bit ago from Kelsey Hennigan, uh, one of our writers at MILB, with the attached clinching graphic. And we only send that out when teams are getting ready to actually wrap up division titles and get their uh, tickets punched to the postseason. So we're nearing the end of the first half in full season ball and getting short season ball underway here in the next couple of days and uh that will do it for three strikes we do have one foul ball in this week's episode of the show before the show eric philia the former seattle mariners prospect is now a boston red sox prospect uh to complete an earlier trade he is now the player to be named later in that deal Eric Filia recently came back from a 50-game suspension for a second positive, second positive test for a drug of abuse. We know how talented he is when he's on the field. He's played 13 games so far in the Texas League this season for Arkansas. He is slashing 426, 508, 537 through his first 13 games. He's now going to be a member of the Portland Sea Dogs in the AA Eastern League. Um, but this one, I mean, this is a potential high-reward type of acquisition for the Red Sox in this outfielder. But Eric Filia only has so many chances left as well right yeah no he was a uh, 20th round pick back in 2016 he's already 25 um you know pretty advanced it it was a real bummer that he missed all those games you know they were important developmental time he's coming off a strong fall league uh but i i wanted to talk about this a little bit because i just think it's a real interesting trade in terms of the Red Sox system. Um, not a lot of hitting prospects in that system right now they're dealing with their own guy who was suspended for you know a good chunk of games to begin the season. And Michael Chavis, uh, you know, he's out 80 games. He still has more time to serve on that suspension. Philia, MLB.com ranks him as the number 24 prospect in that system right now. I get that he still might be the best hitting prospect in that system. Um, you know, I they have his hit tool at 55 on the 2080 scale. I might even put it higher. Um, would love to see them push him even more aggressively than the Mariners did. You know, he just got to double A. We'd love to see him move to triple A if he's going to even come close to matching those numbers he had at double A Arkansas over a longer term uh, in double A Portland. Some defensive questions with him. You know, they, they've tried him out in the outfield. He also has some experience at first base, I believe. Um, you know, it, the bat is what's going to play here. But for a Red Sox system that's really down right now, you know, Jay Groom uh, had Tommy John surgery, Tanner Hawk is not quite showing up the way they would have hoped as their first-round pick last year. Uh, it's kind of a disappointing time in the Red Sox system. To get Philia, somebody who does some ha- have some positive attributes, even though his clock is kind of ticking as a prospect, is kind of the shot in the arm that this system needed right now. Eric Philly headed to the Boston Red Sox, and that'll do it for three strikes and our one foul ball for this week's episode. Sam, get us ready for our interview on this week's edition of the show before the show. Yeah, so like I mentioned, it's uh, Cardinals number five prospect, Andrew Kinzer. Um, Really fun conversation. We started out because the draft was last week. 
um, you know, first he's going to introduce himself and I explained why that is. His, his name is spelled kind of funny. K-N-I-Z-N-E-R. Uh, you'll hear him explain that and how he gets that all the time. Uh, and as somebody who has a funky last name, I can certainly relate. Um, but we get into it about just really from the start, you know, as a seventh round pick, how was he able to become the number five prospect in that system? Well, for this week's interview on the Minor League Baseball podcast, the show before the show, we're joined by a St. Louis Cardinals prospect. And I don't normally have guys do this, but this is kind of a unique situation. So, Andrew, why don't you introduce yourself? I want you to say your name just so the folks out there can actually hear it. This is an audio medium. I want them to hear how you pronounce your last name. My name is Andrew Kisner. Kisner. Okay, there we go. Just so everybody knows because it's spelt in a very unique way, K-N-I-Z-N-E-R. Do you know where that comes from? Yeah, where a, that last name has its origins from? Uh, I think it's uh, maybe Czech or Polish. I, I'm not really 100% sure, but it's, uh, it's a tricky last name, and a lot of people struggle with it. So I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> used to people saying it wrong and spelling it wrong, so it, it doesn't really hurt my feelings. Right. No, I got you. With somebody who has the last name Dykstra who can go any different ways and how it's uh, said I, I certainly sympathize uh, but thanks for joining us thanks for for calling in you're right now with the Springfield Cardinals uh, how do you feel like your 2018 season has gone to this point I feel like it's going really well um, I feel like uh, I'm having a, a good season so far offensively and defensively um, and really just looking to keep it up for the rest of the season all right well I want to touch on some of the stuff you got into there uh, a little bit later but you know this is the week after the 2018 Major League Baseball draft. Uh, you were picked in the seventh round in 2016 coming out of NC State. Uh, kind of share with us what your draft story was like, what your expectations were going into that 2016 draft and uh, how things kind of played out from there. Uh, you know, I don't think I really had too many expectations going into the draft. Um, obviously, I thought I you know, played well enough at NC State to be taken uh, decently high. Uh, so really, it was just a waiting game to see when when I get called, get my name called, and and who would take me. So, uh, not really in a, any expectations, but I'm glad how everything turned out. Uh, got drafted by a great organization, St. Louis Cardinals. So, um, you know, I'm really thankful for the opportunity, and uh, you know, it's so far everything's been great. Yeah, and when the Cardinals took you, uh, you know, in that seventh round, what kind of conversations did you have with them initially? Because uh, like you said, you know, coming out of NC State, that's obviously a pretty solid program in the ACC. Uh, you had a 747 OPS your junior year with six home runs. You played a little bit on the Cape. Uh, you know, you did all the things to get drafted in those first 10 rounds. But what did the Cardinals say they liked about your game to kind of take you at that point? Uh, you know, I think um, I'm trying to think back to some of the conversations I had. <laughs> Seems like forever ago. Um, but uh, they, they really liked my hit tool. Um, and that's something I've always had. So uh, they knew they were drafting a, a guy that could hit, uh, and they liked uh, they liked my athleticism behind the plate, uh, catching. So uh, I think that's what what they really liked was uh, I was an athletic catcher that could hit. So that's that's, that's pretty much uh, what what they told me. 
Gotcha. And uh, yeah, one thing that stood out to me about your NC State career was you started out as a third baseman there, eventually moved behind the plate. Uh, the Cardinals have done that with another catching prospect in Carson Kelly. He started out his minor league career as a third baseman, moved behind the plate. How are you able to make that transition? Uh, what do you think about your game allowed you to move there and, and you know carry on that transition into the uh, minor leagues? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, like what I said, uh, I use my athleticism, um, and, and that really helps me out behind the plate. Uh, you know, growing up being an infielder my whole life, I've always had good hands, uh, so I made that helps with, uh, with receiving. Uh, and one thing that, um, that I think really helps me is uh, I feel like I'm a pretty smart player and have a pretty high baseball IQ, so that, uh, that really helps when, uh, you know, calling games and, and managing games. So. Uh, that, I think that's a very underrated aspect of catchers is the ability to call a game and, and manage how the game moves. Um, so that, that's another factor um, that I think um, was one of the reasons why I converted in, in college was, was because I could, could handle a pitching staff. Yeah, and kind of speak to that in terms of transitioning from, you know, handling a college staff to, to a pro staff, you know, like I said, the draft was last week. A lot of catchers getting taken there. They're going to kind of get their eyes open to working with pro staffs and kind of rotating pitching staffs. Guys are always coming in, whether being promoted or demoted or uh, you know rehabbing, whatever. Uh, what's allowed you to make that transition? And what was the most surprising thing about going from you know handling a, the NC State rotation to what you've seen so far through the card system? <clears throat> Yeah, um, well, in college you, you have the same pitchers the whole season, so you're able to you're able to understand those guys and what they like to throw, uh, and you and you have some more time to work with them. But in in pro ball, everything happens fast. You can have you know five starters to open the season, and then next thing you know, two guys are called up or sent down. You know, bullpens are constantly changing, so the whole the the timeline to learn the staff. Quick, quickens and speeds up. So you have to really um, have a game plan um, and, and really sit down with the pitchers and understand what they like to throw, when they like to throw it. Um, so uh, it, it just it, everything happens a little bit quicker in pro ball. Um, so so you really have to be patient and, and and learn those guys as fast as possible. Yeah, are there any kind of tricks you have to, to learning guys? Do you keep like a notebook with everything everybody has? Do you just try to remember it? You know, do you work with guys in spring training thinking like, I might see you in July? Um, you know, what kind of tricks have you developed over, you know, now your third season in Pro Bowl? Uh, yeah, in, well, in spring training, I keep a notebook on, uh, on guys. Um, when I catch them, I write down a couple things, and, and that helps me uh, remember later in the season because – you never know what level you're going to play at. So I, I try to catch as many guys as possible. And I found that really works for me. Um, I, you know, even during the season, if a new guy comes up, I always try to get in there and catch their bullpen uh, as quick as possible. So when I see him in the game, it, nothing surprises me. Um, and then I found out that, you know, that really helps me is being behind the plate, catching their pitches. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's let's kind of transition to your offensive part of the game. Like you said, the Cardinals really liked your hit tool, and you showed that off pretty quickly, uh, hitting 319 at Johnson City in 2016. Ever since, you've been basically a 300 hitter everywhere you've gone. Uh, what do you think allowed you to make that transition so well? 
you know, like you said, you were a pretty good hitter in college, but even with a metal bat, it seems like you've improved making the transition to wood, playing every day, uh, you know, just hitting the ground running ever since. Uh, what's allowed you to, to see the ball so well and translate your offensive game into the pros? Uh, I think the, the number one thing for me is my ability to make adjustments hitting. Uh, each each level you go to, there's, there's different challenges and uh, I think for me, um, my ability ability to make adjustments is is key. So understanding what pitchers are trying to do to me, figuring out you know approach, changing in my approach, um, and, and also making adjustments with with my mechanics and my swing. I think that, those are the uh, the things that really allow me to always stay sharp hitting and stay on top of my game. So kind of along those lines, what do you feel like the biggest adjustments you've made, you know, over the last two years has been? Uh, I think, I think mostly um, it's been approach. I, I try to keep my mechanics simple and, and not really change those a whole lot because I, I think I have a very, very uh, efficient swing. Uh, so really I just try to change my approach and, and you know, um, and really locking in on one zone at a time and really trying to see the ball and just and just make consistent contact and, and, and drive gaps. Mm. Do you feel like that's not something you were doing before or something that you needed to have your eyes open to? You know, after some uh, No, arms? I feel like I've always I've always I've always done that. It's just it's just um I think as I've gotten more at bats under my belt, I've really fine tuned my approach and, and I stick to it. Uh, I feel like when I was younger in college, I would change my approach too quickly. Um, but now with, with that bat under my belt, you know, I'm starting to understand what type of hitter I am. Uh, I'm able to, to keep my approach and, and lock into those zone, into my hot zones um, more often. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about this kind of season right now. You're currently with AA Springfield. You got 14 games with AAA Memphis uh, in the middle of the year got bumped back down not because of anything you did but just because of a kind of roster crunch um what has that kind of been like you know getting a, a small taste out of triple a and what were you able to take away from those three weeks or so yeah i thought it was great um triple a is a, a lot different than double a you're facing um some older players who've been around who know how to play the game um on both sides of the ball so uh in triple a i noticed pitchers are you know they're throwing two O changeups, three one sliders. They're they're guys that have uh, command of all their pitches, um, which you know really approach comes comes into play there. So you have to stick to your plan and and not swing at what the pitcher wants you to swing at. So uh, that's something I learned offensively and and behind the plate calling games. You face guys that are um, you know have a lot of big big league experience and um, who are smart, patient hitters. So uh, you really have to figure out quickly what pitches they're trying to hit, and you uh, you have to work with the staff to um, to kind of keep those guys off balance. Yeah, and what was the most eye-opening moment you had? Was there a specific pitcher you faced who, like you said, was a former big leaguer who you always thought, like, oh, when I face this guy, I know I've made it? Or what was the biggest or, like I said, most eye-opening experience you had during your time with Memphis? You know, I don't. I don't think there is any eye-opening moment. Uh, it's still, you know, still playing baseball. It's nothing really is is that dramatic from Double A AA to Triple A. So, um, 
I just try to go up there and just do what I did, um, do what I have been doing in the minor leagues and just continue that. So uh, nothing really eye-opening. Um, you know, I was just going up there playing the game hard and, and trying to do what I could to help the team win. Yeah, and what was the conversation like when they bumped you back down? Like I said, part of that is for a roster crunch. They want to make sure you're playing every day or as close to every day as a catcher can. Um, but did they send you up with the understanding that it was going to be temporary? Or, you know, you hit 333 with an 844 OPS there. It wasn't like you were struggling by any means. Um, you know, what was the, how did you kind of handle that situation of, I did well, but I'm still going back down to Springfield? Yeah, I, you know, like you said, it's a roster crunch thing where they want they want me to catch as much as I can, uh, and I wasn't going to be able to do that in, in um, AAA rotating every other day with Carson Kelly. So uh, they sent me back down to Double A to to catch as much as I can. Um, and you know I totally understand it. It's uh, you know it's a process and and it's their plan that they have for me. So um, the job doesn't change from you know AAA to Double A. It's uh, get better in every phase of the game. So uh, I totally understand. And, you know, I'm just trying to put the work in to, you know, get back to AAA and then um, get to St. Louis as fast as I can. Yeah, how do you kind of look at your standing in the organization? I mean, like I said, you were a seventh-round pick, and now all of a sudden you are, you know, one of the best catching prospects in, in a system that is full of catching prospects. Like we mentioned, Carson Kelly and obviously Yadi Molina is the guy in St. Louis uh, signed an extension for that. How do you kind of view the way you've pushed the envelope and, and pushed your way into that conversation to the point where, you know, St. Louis fans want to see you at the highest level possible? Yeah. Well, I, I really don't think draft position has much to do with it. Uh, I knew once I got in a pro ball that playing every day, my, uh, my tools would take over and my skills would take over and, you know, I would develop into a, a pretty good baseball player. So um, I don't think really draft order has anything to do with it. Um, but, you know, it's uh, I'm just going out there trying to compete and, and get better every single day. Um, so uh, eventually, hopefully I can make it up, you know, to St. Louis, um, you know, like I said, as soon as possible. So. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, one sign they, they showed that, you know, they thought you were at least fairly close or wanted to get you at least a taste is they invited you, you know, as a non-roster invitee uh, to spring training this year. That's the second year they've done that. They did that in 2017 as well. Uh, what is it like amongst that catching core, you know, when you guys all are together at the beginning of spring training, kind of working with each other and, um, you know, kind of getting to rub elbows with some of those guys? What, what was that like, you know, in February and March? Uh, well, it's a great learning opportunity, uh, and it's something I'm very thankful for. Um, I was catching every single day beside Yadi Molina and, and Carson Kelly, two guys that are, you know, in the organization that are that are great catchers. Um, and along with uh, learning from Mike Matheny, who is a who is also a very good catcher. So, um, it's it's a great learning opportunity and uh, a great time for me to fine tune my skills. What do you feel like is the biggest thing you picked up from? any of those guys, you know, between Kelly, Matheny, or Yachty? I think the biggest thing is just, um, and, I, and I actually learned this just from watching Yachty, is his mindset um, and his preparation. It doesn't matter, you know, whether he's preparing for Game 7 of the World Series or just a spring training practice. Uh, he was always locked in, and he was ready to compete and get better. So that's, that. you know, that's one thing that really stuck out to me, and that's one thing that, 
you know, I, I put in, into my game is, is that preparation and, you know, always being ready. Yeah, and, and those three guys we've mentioned, all three of you are pretty good hitters and have a track record of being pretty good hitters. Um, you know, you mentioned working with the staff and having to really be clued in on certain pitches and all that. Do you feel like it's an advantage being a catcher and have – obviously you guys are – it's a physically demanding position, but as somebody who doesn't strike out much, you make a lot of contact, have a good hit tool. Uh, how do you feel like it translates, you know, defensively from watching that many pitches to being able to put that into play when you step into the box yourself? I think it helps tremendously. Uh, once I started catching, I really understood, understood the art of game calling, and now I'm able to kind, of, I'm able to think along with the opposing catcher and the opposing pitcher. And I'm like, well, what would I throw myself in this situation? And it, it just kind of it helps me think through the at-bats. And I think it really has helped develop my mental game hitting because um, I know I know how pitchers and catchers want to set me up because I put myself in their shoes when I'm, when I'm hitting. Oh, there you go. That, that certainly helps. Uh, so we'll, we'll send you out on this one. Um, as a catcher, like you said, you caught a lot of guys this year. Um, who's a pitcher you have caught either in Springfield, in Memphis, or in spring training uh, that you feel like isn't getting talked up that much but has really impressed you in the times you've caught them? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just tough because the Cardinals, we're, I feel like we're, we're loaded with pitching talent. Um, you know, guys like Dakota Hudson and Ryan Helsley, Connor Jones, you know, from AAA down to down to rookie ball, we, we're we're loaded with talent. So, um, I, I'm just gonna have to let those guys keep keep letting their pitching do the talking, and uh, and um, and I'm sure, you know, everybody that 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 throws will will one day make it. So, um, we're, we're, I'm I'm actually really uh, grateful with the pitching staffs we have. That it makes my job really easy calling games because. Their, their stuff is really good, and uh, they 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 take care of getting those hitters out. So it's it's fun uh, catching all those guys. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned Connor Jones. We're we're talking here on Wednesday. Uh, just last night, he took a no hitter into the seventh. So just and he's the 19th ranked prospect in that system. So that just speaks to the depth of arms you mentioned in that card system. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I'll send you out on this one as somebody who has tasted AAA as somebody who's been you know in big league spring training a little bit what is the kind of final piece of the of the puzzle that one missing piece you feel like you need to kind of complete in your game to knock down the door to st louis um that's a good question i you know i think all my all my skills are there i think my hit tools there i think defensively i'm good and um but you know the one thing that that everybody searches for in baseball is that consistency um, and, and, you know, I think that's just one thing um, that I think will really push me over the top is becoming consistent in all phases of the game. Of the game. Uh, I feel like I'm getting close, um, but, you know, you, 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 can't, uh, you can't rush the, the reps and the, and the at-bats and the innings behind the plate. So um, I feel like once, once I get some more innings and, and more at-bats under my belt, the consistency will – We'll be there, and uh, I'll be ready to go. All right, very cool. Well, Andrew Kisner, uh, thank you for talking to us. Good luck going forward, whether that's in Springfield or Memphis or even St. Louis the rest of the way uh, this season. Uh, good luck, and uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me.
got a lot to discuss this week with Benjamin Hill, who joins us for our weekly conversation. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler. And hello, Sam Dykstra is sitting to my left. Um, hello, Sam was out sick yesterday. I was what? out sick. Really? Yeah. And I'm a little concerned uh, with him sitting this close to my left. <laughs> yeah. What was the ailment? Uh, your basic cold. Okay. So, so highly basic contagious. Common cold, yeah. So a good thing to be sitting next to somebody who had yesterday. If, if I could just sit in the corner and shout my questions, that's fine. <laughs> Please do so. Just yell from the background. Um, well, let's get started in this week's edition of our uh, Ben's Biz Banter. We're uh, in road trip season. Road trip season is hot on the trot, and Ben's got a new one coming up this weekend. Um, and uh, is that even a, an appropriate term? I don't even know what that means. Uh, what's the next trip? Yeah, I'm calling it the hot on the trot trip. On it's, the trot it's, trip. Uh, As of two seconds ago, yeah. it is now the hot on the trot trip. Yeah, I am hot on the trot to the Midwest, to the beautiful Midwest. Um, kind of like my last trip where I hit you know spots fairly local to uh, New York City, you know where where I I live, love, laugh, and learn. Um, you know, all the stops on my first trip were places I'd been, but I hadn't been generally in six, seven, eight years. And it's going to be the same thing with this trip. Um, I'm talking to you here on Wednesday, tomorrow when the podcast debuts, June 14th. I will be visiting the Lake County Captains uh, in suburban Cleveland area. Uh, then the next day, the Mahoning Valley Scrappers, that's the New York Penn League opening day. So that'll be a you know a special night. Uh, hitting Toledo on Saturday. Um, it is You Will Do Better in Toledo Night, and that's a reference to a longstanding uh, city motto or slogan, You Will Do Better in Toledo. So... I'd say that every Mud Hens game is a celebration of Toledo, but this one will even more so be that. Uh, then on Father's Day, heading over to Fort Wayne to see, of course, the Tin Caps at uh, Parkview Field. And then after an off day, which you know won't be an off day per se, but a day in which I'm not going to a game, uh, on June 18th, I'll drive up to Lansing. And then the next day, I will attend the Midwest League All-Star Game hosted by the Lansing Lugnuts. And... Uh, yeah, should be a lot of fun. So, you know, only five teams on this trip, but got an opening day, got an all-star game. Uh, all of these places I haven't been for at least five years and in some cases uh, seven or eight years. And, uh, of course, I've got a lot of story ideas and uh, things I've agreed to that in retrospect or future spec at this point uh, maybe I should not have agreed to. Shits is taking the uh, Toledo Mud Hens chill challenge and spending uh, a whole inning in an ice tub for some reason. Um, but are you going to be doing anything else or are people going to be like throwing balls trying to get you into the ice tub or are you just going to be literally chilling in an ice tub? Yeah, I think I have to stay in that for a whole inning to win prizes for a section. And this is what happens. I take these things so seriously because I'm kind of prone to guilt as an individual and uh, I will feel so bad if I let the people down who I could have won a prize for. So the road trip coming up um, and is one. How many more do you have this season? Because we're just now getting close to short season time and there are road trips that come along with that. But this is you're kind of hitting the midway point of the road trips this year. Uh, more or less. After this trip, I'll be approaching half. Okay. Um, but then I have my biggest trip in July, starting uh, with the Florida Fire Frogs in the Orlando area, and that's a big one. Uh, working my way up all the way to uh, Asheville and Johnson City. Then uh, more local stuff in August. Uh, very New York Penn League centric. And then in September, uh, flying out to your neck of the woods, Tyler. I mean, in the sense that the same state is the same neck of the woods. But, uh, you know, ending the road trip season in September with the Colorado Springs Sky Sox and Grand Junction Rockies. 
getting to the center of the uh, the minor league season. By the way, hot on the trot um, turns up basically no Google results. Uh, hot to trot, which is a phrase that people have actually heard, did not know this, but in 1988 was a movie featuring Bobcat Goldthwait and John Candy. I had no I, idea. I don't think I saw that movie, but I remember as a kid going to video stores and just always seeing Hot to Trot <laughs> on <a> shelves. Because <laughs> nobody was renting it because they were like, why would I want to watch this Bobcat Goldthwait vehicle? No, thank you. If you were a fan of Hot to Trot, please email. <laughs> please uh, let us know. Please Podcast email the show before. Com. Get in touch with your Hot to Trot trivia. Um, let's move on to one of the more interesting um, minor league uh, weekly rebrands of the 2018 season for a variety of reasons. The Staten Island Yankees for Saturday home games in 2018 will become the Staten Island Pizza Rats. And if this sounds like something that we have discussed on the, fo- on the show before, it's because it is. In 2016... A video went viral that may or may not have been staged by an actress of a rat carrying a slice of pizza down a staircase in a New York City subway station. Uh, pizza rat went insane. It was one of those things where, like, I logged on to Twitter, like, toward the tail end of the initial freak out of pizza rat that day. It was just like, I don't know what the hell is going on and immediately logged off. Um, but this is it's interesting because the Staten Island Yankees, after that season, decided that they were going to rebrand. They put out five brandios ludicrous nickname suggestions one of them was pizza rats that was overwhelmingly suggested uh or, or selected by fans and they named the team contest but the rebellion was so strong from the loud contingent including a city councilwoman in staten island who threatened legislation to prevent the rebrand that staten island continued on as the yankees and i guess this is the happy compromise um but it's interesting because it's, it kind of seems like, and maybe the merchandise sales aren't suggesting this, but it kind of seems like the window is passed. Like the, the Pizza Rats meme was funny two years ago, um, and I guess it's still it's still getting its notoriety. There are still stories all over the place about it. Um, they are not fully rebranding. There have been headlines that are, oh, the Staten Island Yankees have become the Pizza Rats. That's not accurate. It's just Saturday home games. But, Ben, kind of give me your, your thoughts on that because we haven't really seen this. Ha- We've seen teams back off of crazy nickname changes before, but something that was so uh, was such a, a momentary thing that happened then to be brought back two years later, it's just kind of an interesting one. Yeah, um, you know, I think this is, in a sense, along the lines of a what could have been night promo, which had been fairly common over the yeah, last five years or so. Uh, you know, where teams have an option, they list the finalists in a rebranding contest, and then a name that they didn't pick, uh, you know, they'll suit up as saying what could have been. I mean, Tyler, you're you're making the point that uh, Pizza Rat, you know, is an internet phenomenon as a, uh, you know, as a meme. Uh, I think the time has certainly come and gone for that. But I think what Staten Island found is that one, they made such an impact you know in their own baseball context with even suggesting that name and two i think they find that pizza rats you know pizza and rats and the combination thereof is just something that they feel can be very strong branding that at this point they i think don't mind if it completely stands alone from the internet sensation and the degree to which people remember it um Yesterday, you know they announced that they would be the pizza rats uh, every saturday home game on uh, monday and, uh, of course, the New York Penn League season of which the Yankees, Staten Island Yankees are a part, starts Friday. So they announced this on Monday. And yesterday, Will Smith, the team's president, who um, whose wife is named Jada, just as an aside. Yeah, no geez. way. Of yeah. I, yeah, actually, I think we have discussed that before. That's it, it's, just, it's just amazing. Um, 
you know, he was in Manhattan yesterday. You know, our, our offices here are located in Chelsea. So he was kind of doing a little mini media blitz um, for the Pizza Rat. So he came by. He gave me a hat, uh, which comes in a, bo- a pizza box. It's a very impressive bit of branding. Uh, I did an interview with him, and I'm working on that story right now talking about uh, this I think pretty unique process of how it went from a finalist in the, it went from an internet sensation to a finalist in a name the team contest to the name that the team chose internally to having to, to having to back away from that name for a variety of reasons. And then now two years later to be suiting up on Saturday. What a saga, the saga <laughs> of the pizza rats. And uh, I'm glad, um, you know, as a New York City resident, I've always liked going to Staten Island Yankees games. And, you know, they've often struggled, uh, I think, differentiating themselves in obviously what is a very crowded sports landscape. And I think they are in need of things like this um, and more things like this to get people really talking about them. Because, you know, when you're in New York City, Class A short season baseball isn't going to be anyone's first topic of conversation. So even if there's going to be a segment of people saying this is ridiculous and this is horrible, you're still talking about Class A short season baseball in New York City, which I almost guarantee you weren't talking about before. And, you know, that's half the battle right there. Well, let's go from uh, from one kind of food themed rebrand to another. Um, the <laughs> there are some some interesting ones. Uh, the Beer City Bunghammers. I just want to leave that name out there. Can you explain? But we have warring beer cities now. One, in, in a PG fashion. City. Yeah. Asheville called itself Beer City. Now we've got a secondary Beer City. Explain Beer City Bunghammers to us. Yeah, and I feel like the Beer City Bunghammers, this is a minor league team that's going to suit up as the Bunghammers. It sounds like something uh, out of Beavis and Butthead. It, it really like does. 25 yes. years ago. Um, I don't. I think it's kind of gotten a little overshadowed. I'm, I'm a little surprised that this hasn't gone as viral as um, Pizza Rats because it is very ridiculous. This is the West Michigan Whitecaps who um, obviously play in West Michigan. Uh, technically, they play in Comstock, Michigan, but they represent Grand Rapids. And the team is saying, you know, in Grand Rapids, we are Beer City. And, you know, Asheville's already called themselves the Beer City Tourists. They can battle it out about who's Beer City and anyone else who wants to jump in a Beer City fight, go at it. But the West Michigan Whitecaps, and this is uh, in August, I believe. This is uh, August. August 4th. Thank you, Sam. Uh, August 4th, they are going to suit up as the Beer City Bunghammers <laughs> with the slogan uh, of hitting the sweet spot. <laughs> I feel like a 14-year-old kid (laughs) reading this. So there's a press release that goes on uh, to describe what a bung hammer is. And uh, here, I'll read this uh, verbatim from the press release. You may be asking, what is a bung hammer? The answer to that is a bung hammer is a specialized tool for sealing and unsealing the bung in the side of a barrel when aging craft beer. Now, to answer the question of what is a bung, a bung is a wooden stopper for the opening in a barrel. So the bung hammer is used to fit the bung into the bung hole of a barrel. So (laughs) if you got a bung, you need to put it into the bung hole. And for that, you need a bung hammer. Uh, The West Michigan White Sox, uh, Whitecaps on August 4th are going to be the Beer City bung hammers. And this all makes sense and is appropriate. (laughs) It actually does uh, answer what a bunghole is. And now the seven-year-old version of myself that snuck watching Beavis and Butthead episodes on MTV understands where the the genesis of that term was yeah it was just because they love craft beer yeah that was all it was that had to be (laughs) acdc t-shirts and craft beer that was the whole thing that was definitely a 1990s phenomenon was acdc and craft beer (laughs) 
Oh man. Um, all right. So uh, we've covered that. Uh, we know we know the bunghole thing. Um, we also know that uh, the Brats, the uh, in the same league, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, um, have suited up as the Brats in a very Wisconsin slash German slash beer slash Bratwurst themed getup, which it featured um, baseball looking later hosen and such. Uh, give us a rundown on the Brats. This is a very well executed look. Yeah, this is an article I just wrote that's on the site right now, MILB.com, of course, uh, a promo watch column. Uh, this past Saturday, June 9th, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers uh, suited up as the Brats, you know, as in a Bratwurst. Um, so, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, temporary food identities uh, today and in other weeks, of course. Um, I think the reason we're talking about the Brats right now and the reason I wrote about it is yes, there is a Brat logo on the cap, but the uniforms feature high socks, later hosen, plaid shirts, suspenders. And uh, if you haven't seen this yet, um, you know, check out my article on milb.com, Google Wisconsin Brats, and uh, just check these these uniforms because we. You know, minor league baseball gets more and more ridiculous, it seems, with every passing moment. But these might be the most ridiculous uniforms we've seen yet. Um, you know, they're, I mean, of course, it's not literal suspenders, but the whole uniform approximates a uh, Bavarian Oktoberfest sort of uh, motif. And to I mean, see, they are short pants. Yeah, they are literally short pants with the high socks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's later. It's it's baseball pants approximating later hosen. So right. uh, I don't think we've ever seen that before, along with the Spenders in the plaid. Uh, so a huge celebration of bratwurst. And, uh, you know, the Timber Rattlers sell brats, six varieties every day at the ballpark. So, you know, sometimes these food uh, food rebrandings, the teams don't actually sell the item and they might for that one night. But, you know, Wisconsin Timber, Rat- Timber Rattlers, they're living the brat life every day. It's a pretty amazing look. And uh, the story is up on the site right now milb.com benjamin hills on twitter at ben's biz the blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com and uh this is if you are a person trying to eat healthy the latest trends in minor league baseball are just not for you because if you look at the beer city bung hammers and the brats and the pizza rats and whatever like it just makes me want to eat the most disgusting food on earth and it'll all be delicious um maybe not uh, the most life-giving but it's you know that's minor league baseball in 2018 embrace it yeah, and I would say it's it's been minor league baseball every year for a long time, but uh, yeah, it's just getting more and more over the top. And yeah, uh, now it's just being literally worn on everyone's sleeves and chest <laughs> and everywhere else. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you, Tyler and Sam Dykstra sitting to my left. Um, I hope you feel better. Thank you. Finishing off this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, Benjamin Hill once more on Twitter at Ben's Biz, and a big thanks to him. And uh, we're getting set for MILB TV to roll out its full slate of games for the 2018 season as short season teams get into the pool. Uh, Sam, what are you watching this weekend? Yeah, so this week it will be beginning of short season. Happy short season opening day to, to you and yours for everybody. Uh, as I mentioned, Friday is opening day in the New York Penn League, so what better way to spend it than watching Brooklyn Staten Island uh, intra-city matchup. I think they might call it like the Battle of the Bridge uh, because the Verrazano Narrows Bridge kind of connects Coney Island-ish area with Staten Island, obviously. Um, and it, it's always kind of cool because th- those two teams, they play like a three-game set coming up, but one game is at Staten Island, the next game is at Brooklyn, and then the next game is at uh staten island again so it, it 
it's something you don't often see in minor league baseball or really baseball anywhere where it's a three game series. series. Yeah. So the games, um, that will be in Staten Island. So on Friday and Sunday, will both be on MILB.TV. Go check them out. I know I've talked to players before who have been through those games and they're like, there's a little bit of a rivalry here, we guess, considering it's Yankees and Mets prospects and that they're right next to each other. And if you need a New York Penn League rivalry, this is as good as anything. Um, so go see those two sides battle it out starting Friday. Or if you don't catch that game, circle back and watch them on Sunday. It's not going to be slices versus pizza rats, but no. it's the next best thing. Yeah, um, and if you can't get enough short season ball, the Pioneer League gets started on Friday night. And two Pioneer League teams that uh, have MILB.TV coverage will be at home. Grand Junction will be playing host to Orem. That game is coming up at 8.40 Eastern time on Friday night and at 9.15 Eastern time Friday night. Ogden pays a visit to Idaho Falls. So um, Orem, the Angels affiliate, Grand Junction, a Rockies affiliate, Ogden, a Dodgers affiliate, Idaho Falls, a Royals affiliate. You're a fan of those teams or a fan of uh, guys getting their first minor league experience under their belts, you can tune in at MILB.TV. And with that, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. You can get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. Sam is on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the starts of short season ball. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah.